It's just good to be home with you all. Thank you so much for allowing us to, to call this home and always to be able to have a place to come back to and just feel at ease and to be greeted. And so thank you for greeting us. And I admit sometimes I don't always remember your name, but I feel honored when you remember mine. And so please forgive me that, but I appreciate you and I, I recognize you. So thank you so much. Uh, even through the changes we've come and, and through the years, different times, but I think the last time we were actually up here was when Ezekiel was being baptized. So uh, we have three children. Eliza's 10 now. Ezra's 8. And Ezekiel, who is up here, not baptized, sorry, dedicated. My wife's like, what? Dedicated. He is now 5. So they're, they're quickly um, catching up to us in height, and Eliza's keeping measuring to see if she's taller than, than her mommy. So that's, that's happening. But pastor, when we had that lunch together, he said, you're still in Tajikistan? I mean, doesn't that just kind of roll off the tongue there? Just real easy to say. Uh, I had a gentleman ask me this morning as well, wait, how do you say that? It is a real place. We didn't make it up. It's a country that's in, if you're my age or older, you would have thought of the Soviet Union. So this is part of the former Soviet Union. It's a country that's just north of Afghanistan, just west of China. Yeah, we're in the middle of all that. Uh, And it's an interesting place to be. But really, there's a lot of history. It's part of what was the former, the, the old Silk Road that went from Europe to Asia. There's a lot of culture and history there. And so the language that we speak goes back to the Persian language that Daniel would have heard in the courts of the Persian kings. And so some of the traditions that they have are still kind of those older Persian traditions, uh, having celebrating springtime. And there's also the, the issue of dealing with a post-Soviet country, things like corruption, being stopped on the road and asking for our documents. We, Tajikistan ranks 154 out of 177 countries for corruption. So just think about that as you drive down the road and you've got police that are protecting you. Our traffic cops stop us and ask us for documents. If Probably from your house to here, I would have gotten stopped maybe three or four times. So that's just part of everyday life. And of course, they're just looking saying, hey, your documents are in order, but can't you give me something for lunch today? So that's, it's just kind of part of everyday life. And so this morning, I don't want to just talk about the reality of life. It's there. We deal with things like dirty water, and those are challenges and obstacles. But the reality is, is that God is opening a way through this. There's a, an interest. We do get snow in Tajikistan. We have mountains. This is the western edge of the Himalaya range. And so the mountains get pretty high, and we get a lot of snow in the wintertime. Uh, but this picture isn't just, I just wanted to show you that snow is tall, taller than a, a semi-truck. But it's also a picture of what I believe God has called us to do. Because beyond that, the headlights, you can't see what it is. And Tajikistan is a spiritually dark place, but yet God has called us to go and to be the light of Christ, to shine that light into the darkness. And sometimes you don't know what's around the corner until you get there. But we trust that God, trust God that as we move forward, that he shines his light into those dark places. And some of the ways that we've been able to do that is through the Renewable Energy Company. It means I'm up on roofs installing solar hot water panels. We're going to villages that don't have electricity, but then we're sharing with them in the evening about the true power, the source of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And you can tell that there's nowhere to, you know, where the road ends, there's nowhere to stay in a hotel, but we get to stay in their homes and share Christ in that way. Perhaps some of you have participated in Operation Christmas Child. That's another opportunity that we have to go and to give gifts in villages and and to communities, but then through that to share the gospel with children and to give them for the first time in their life, not, not just to have their own Bible, but to even see a Bible 
for literally many of these children, it's the first time they've even seen the Word of God. And we have the opportunity to go and to give that because of generous people in America. It sounds like we're going into the village. My wife has been busy as well working with Caravan of Hope. It's a women's rescue center that's getting women out of human trafficking and domestic violence to provide them a safe home, but then also provide them with some training so that they can get a living for themselves. But really the purpose there is to provide them a place where they can come to know Christ. They can be healed and find wholeness and restoration through the family of God and through the hope that Christ brings. And so we're thankful for what's happening there as women's lives are literally being transformed Uh, And they have joy, and they know that they don't have to give something to get back, but that God has already given everything for them to be part of his family. In all these things, our heart and our passion is discipleship. Our our heart is that people would come to know Jesus. So whether we can help them or do something, but that we can share the gospel and see disciples made. Isn't that what Jesus said to do? He said to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. One quick story, I'm kind of trying to squeeze it together here, because I I believe it highlights what we're called to do. And In Tajikistan, there are different people groups. Because of Central Asia and the nomadic people moving back and forth, there's Tajik and Turkmen, there's a Pariya group, which up to two years ago had no known believers in it. They don't have a Bible in their language. They don't have text that they get to read. And so there was a project to do a video in their own language so that they could hear at least a gospel story. Through that project, a young man was involved in the translation, and he began to question, saying, well, where does this story come from? And why do you guys pray differently? I pray three t- five times a day, and I go down, I do my prayers, and my father re- read the Quran, but you guys talk differently. And they said, well, it's because of the Word of God. It's this holy book. And so he began to read it, and he began to ask questions. And day after day, he would ask more questions, and find answers and say, well, that's amazing. And so then one day he finally said, well, I want to meet Jesus. That's kind of cool. All right, praise God. Well, he wanted to, to take the book home. And so he was able to take the home. He began to read it to his wife, who doesn't even read. So every evening they were having story time with their children there, reading the Bible. She wanted to meet Jesus. Well, then she started relating these stories to her cousins who were coming over for tea. They were listening to the stories. They said, well, we want more stories. She said, well, that's all the stories I know. You have to come back tomorrow because he's going to read another one tonight. And she began to relate these stories about Jesus, and they came to know Jesus. Well, their husbands weren't too happy about that because they felt like they were trying to be respected in the mosque and in the community. And so they said, we don't want you to go there anymore. But of course, they're family. And so this young man said, well, why don't you at least come over and hear what's going on? And they said, oh, all right, fine. So they came over, and they began to... They did what they normally did, sang some songs and listened to a story. And they said, oh, wow, I've never heard that before. Well, tell us another one. And, and you know, God gives smarts to these young believers. And they, he said, well, why don't you come back next week? And I will do another story. And so they did. And after a couple of weeks, you know what? They wanted to meet Jesus too. This is what God is doing among the Pari people who are excited. This young man says, he, they read the story about the Ethiopian and Philip. And he said, well, I need to be baptized. And so, you know what? He was baptized. His father was baptized before we left. We're excited that God is doing something, that God is working, that disciples are being raised up, and that his kingdom is coming among the Pariya people of Tajikistan. We praise God for that. Thank you so much for your giving. We appreciate you. And thank you for grabbing a prayer card, too, on your way out to pray with us that God will continue to reach the people of Tajikistan. I, I want to be careful with our time this morning, uh, but as I said I, I go into a lot of homes, and, and we tell stories. So today, we're going to look at a story. But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and just ask God. 
Let's invite him to say, God, speak to us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have written your story across the timeline of humanity, across the timeline of this world, God. And we thank you that you are inviting us right now to engage with what you want to speak to our hearts and to our minds. God, I pray that you would help us to, to be, have ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And Lord, may this word, God, may it go into our hearts and bring about transformation, Lord, at a spiritual, at a mental and emotional level, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This story is found in Exodus 17, and if you jump there, you're welcome to look there. We will be getting there, but I, sometimes when we tell stories, you have to give some background. If you kind of pop in a movie and you fast forward to the middle of the movie, you're going to kind of be like, wait, who are those people, and why do we care? And so if we jump into Exodus 17, I feel like we're going to be doing that a little bit. We kind of need to know, who are we talking about? And so I'm hoping that this morning, many of you have probably heard uh, of some of these people like Abraham. Okay, good. All right. We've got some nods. And, and Isaac and Jacob. And then, you know, they ended up going to Egypt. Oh, man. Okay. And then some of you saw that movie, The Prince of Egypt or The Ten Commandments, didn't you? All right. You're, you're way ahead of me. And so the people ended up in Egypt, ended up becoming slaves, and then... We hear about Moses, but, you know, he tries to kind of do his thing, but ends up running away to the desert until God finally finds him many years later. And he's not this amazing prince anymore. He's not a man of repute. He's not in the, in the, in the castle or in the palace of the kings or, or the pharaoh. And rather, he is with some dirty, smelly sheep. And you guys think that you always see nice pictures Excuse me while I come down here. I'm getting my shepherd's staff. Because there's a lot of mountains where they were in Midian. And in Tajikistan, they really are dirty and smelly. When the sheep go and they go down the road, and guess what? The roads are dirt. And so you end up with literally like two or three inches of dirt. And you're kind of glad that you're inside the car that has air conditioning because they stink. Because, you know, they don't really get baths. It's not like they're going down and getting baths every week. And they're all walking together, and they trample down what the guy in front of them just... All right, you get the idea. So that's where Moses is, and he's hanging out, but suddenly he sees something, and he has an interaction with God. He meets God, the burning bush, and God meets him and calls him to return, to be his messenger, to be his spokesperson. And Moses is like, well, I've got nothing left. What do I have to give? And so God says, well, take what you have in your hand. And so he takes the staff that he has in his hand, and he, and he goes back to Egypt. And with that staff, he puts it down in front of the Pharaoh and it becomes a snake. And that, that snake swallows up some of the other snakes that the magicians put out. And then God says to take that staff and to, to strike the Nile and it turns to blood. Yeah, see, it's just like in the movie, right? So this is, but this was real. God was actually having him do this and things were happening. And another time he told him to strike the dust and it became gnats. I mean, we've been getting some bites out lately with the kids with getting mosquito bites and that's bothersome. But man... The gnats were just crazy. They were everywhere. And so these plagues begin to come, and, and, and that staff begins to symbolize God's, God's judgment on Egypt and God's provision for the Israelites when, when he holds it up. And then there's, there's light in Goshen where the Israelites are, but there's darkness in the rest of Egypt. And so this staff really begins to symbolize that. And then finally, right after these plagues, finally the people are, are free. They are able to get out. The last final plague happens, and... 
there's people dying, and so they're like, get out of here. And they do. They, they, leave, they leave Egypt. Woohoo! The Israelites, the slaves are free. All right. A bit like the Emancipation Proclamation. It was written. It was done. But they still had a long journey ahead of them. And then they get out of Egypt, and they get down there, and they're like, ooh, all right, we're out, we're free. And they get to the Red Sea, and they're like, uh, what now? This was all kind of sounding good until they heard the chariots coming behind them, and they said, this doesn't sound so good anymore. This, this was a bad idea. Moses, that was a bad idea. We want to go home. And once again, God tells Moses to take the staff, to strike the waters. And, and I mean, they made a splash, right? I mean, something happened. Okay, all right, you guys know, right? The waters of the sea divided, the wind blew, and the entire nation. We're talking about millions of people, and who knows how many sheep and goats and cattle. All went through the sea on dry ground. Pharaoh wasn't deterred by it. In fact, he chased in after them, and God used that to destroy the Egyptian army. Now, finally, on the other side, they are free from their oppressors. And they, they had another party. They got out, they busted out the instruments, and they're having a party. Woohoo, this is great. And then they kind of like got away from the sea, and they looked around like, um, it's a desert. Why are we here? How did we end up here? We used to have watermelons. It was so nice. But there's no, we don't even have water to drink. And again, God tells Moses to take that staff and to strike a rock. And then out of the rock, in the middle of the desert, a river begins to gush fresh, living water for the people of Israel. And it says that it was enough for the people and for their flocks. That's a good-sized river. And it's at this point that we end up, where where we're looking in Exodus chapter 17, starting, oh, that's not Exodus 17, here we go. Looking in verse 8. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. That's what they had chosen to name that area. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Seems like a pretty straightforward story. I think it took all about 30-some seconds to read it. And sometimes that's about the amount of attention we pay to things that we're familiar with. I've heard that story before. Yeah, I know how, I know how it ends. Kind of like, I don't know if I want to watch that movie. I, I know how it ends, or that book, right? Sometimes we're familiar with stories, and we kind of say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, God did this, and that's how it happened, and it worked out great. Well, I just want to look at a few things, because I believe that stories have something to teach us. I believe that God put it in his word for a reason, and we want to look at it. Well, something happened. They got attacked. That's real. The Amalekites came and attacked them while they're trying to get to this river that God provided for them. So they come up with a pretty simple plan. This is not like thought out months in advance for military strategy and they get out the charts so like, no, I, you're the military leader. You're going to go fight. I'm the spiritual leader. I'm going to go stand before God. 
We're going to go do what we know we're supposed to do. That's your job. Go do it. This is mine. I'm going to do it. This is the plan. Pretty, pretty direct. Go fight Joshua. Moses is going to go before God. And of course, you don't want to forget that he's going to take the staff of God with him. Okay, Joshua, I'm going to take that staff, that, that representation of God's power, of his might, of his judgment against our enemies, and I'm going, to, I'm going to hold that up. Okay, sounds like a plan. Not real strategic, but they've got it. So what do they do? They go, they, they initiate their plan. They, they go and they start doing it, just as Moses had ordered. He's doing the job that he had been ordered to do. He, jumps, he steps out into battle. And so we know that probably it's early in the morning, the next day, and they do it. Moses goes up on the hill with Aaron and her with the staff. But in this story, I want us to, to allow our minds to actually think about what was happening. That Joshua was actually going out and fighting a hand-to-hand combat war. Now, it was early in the morning, and they probably were feeling kind of fresh, and, well, all right, let's go. Come on, guys, let's do this. Moses has got the staff up there. He's got our backs. We're going to go out. We're going to fight. Let's go. Let's do this thing. And you can imagine they're kind of, they're pumped. They're psyched. They're ready to go. Beginning of a, of a game, you know, everybody's kind of pumped up and ready to do this, and they go out there and begin to fight. And we're not trying to be gruesome or anything, but it is real. It was hand-to-hand combat. Things are happening, but they're kind of like, yeah, we're going, and they begin to push back against the Amalekite army. Things are going pretty good. And we know that Moses did what he said he was going to do. He took the staff with Aaron and her, and he went up, and, and he's got the staff of God in his hands. And we know from other scripture that Moses was, was, a, was an intercessor. He prayed. He, he interceded on behalf of other people. And so I've got no doubt that that's exactly what he was doing. Is he was up there and watching Joshua and the armies, watching the camp of the Israelites over here and saying, God, be with our soldiers. Help them to be fight. Help this battle to go quickly. Be the shield around our people. Let them not fall in battle today. We can imagine that he's up there and he's praying. But perhaps, I don't know. You know, sometimes when I'm praying, I run out of words. Now, I know some, that, some of you guys are, are good, and you're wondering, hey, I don't know about him. But I don't know, sometimes, you know, maybe like 20 minutes in, you're like, oh, oh God, you know what's in my heart. I've kind of prayed what I've said to, I've got to pray. And maybe some of you are prayer warriors, like, like my wife's grandmother. I thank God for her. She prays for us. I thank God for those of you that pray for us. And, man, maybe you can go a whole hour, and you're praying and interceding. But the reality is at some point, you're kind of done. You kind of prayed what it is that you're going to pray. And so it seems that way with Moses, that at some point, he prayed what he was going to pray. He's up there. He's on the hill. Josh was out there fighting. It seems like things are going well for him. And maybe he's not watching the battle, or maybe he's talking to Aaron, or he's talking to her. But he's not necessarily interceding. Maybe he's leaning on his staff and just kind of watching what's happening. He's doing what he said he was going to do. He had the staff. He's up on the hill. But down on the battlefield, something different is happening. Something has changed on the battlefield. I appreciate the video team. I'm sorry I'm moving around so much, but we're trying to engage you with the reality of what was going on. That there were people down on the field that were fighting, and all of a sudden, things begin to happen. They had been pushing forward. They had been winning. But now, somebody over here falls. And somebody over here is getting hit. And they're crying out. And they're saying, whoa. And so Joshua, maybe he's trying to rally the troops. Okay, come on, guys. We can't take a break now. 
This is no snack time. Let's push forward. We can do this. And you can see that maybe he's trying to rally the troops to go, but they're getting pushed back. And somehow, up here, I don't know if it was Moses or Aaron or her, but somebody is like, wait a minute, look. We're not winning anymore. And so again, you can see that Moses begins to pray. Oh God, don't let us lose. We're losing men. I know their families. Their families are right over there. God, be with them. Help them. Sustain them. Give them strength. And we can see that again, Moses began to pray, began to intercede on behalf of them. He was holding up his hands. We don't know if he had his staff. It doesn't emphasize that anymore. It talks about the fact that he had his hands up. And he was praying. He was interceding. He was asking God to move on behalf of what was happening on the battlefield. Now, for sake of time, I'm not going to keep going up and down. But the reality is, we don't know how many times that ebb and flow of battle happened. Scripture seems to imply that it happened more than once. That there was an understanding that when his hands were up, they're pushing forward. When they're down, they're losing ground. Now, when they went up there, that was not part of the plan. Moses had not gone to the tent of meeting. God did not say, this is what I'm going to do. There were other times when he went to the rock where, Moses, where God was very clear and said, go, do this. At this time, in front of the people, you strike the rock, you say these words. This was just saying, hey, do what we're supposed to be doing. You fight, I pray, let's do this. It wasn't a you know, really thought out plan here. Just doing what they know they were called to do. But at some point along the way, they made the connection. Who made the observation? I don't know. Maybe it was Moses himself or Aaron or her. Somebody's like, wait a minute. We're winning. We're losing. We're winning. I mean, I don't want to make light of it, but the reality is at some point they, they said, there's something going on here that is, whatever's happening up on the hill is exactly what's going on down in the battlefield. Once they made that realization, they became responsible. Up to that point, we wouldn't say that it's Moses' fault that they were losing. He didn't go in thinking, oh, well, if I, if I get too tired, too bad for, Moses, for Joshua. No, they didn't know. But at some point, they, they realized that there was this connection, that there was this correlation. And at that point, he became responsible with his actions. At that point, he understood that if his hands were down, it means lives on the field. And so they did something about it. They gave him a place to sit. The two other guys held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other. They took action for what they knew was their responsibility that day. And then it says in verse 13, So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. His hands remained steady until sunset. Now sometimes if I was in a group of kids or something, I'd probably say, okay, everybody try to keep your hands up. You know what? After a while, you're going to get tired. It's hard to keep them up. So those guys were holding his hands for a while. Like I said, we don't know how many times this happened. There were lives that were lost that day. But God intervened on behalf of the nation of Israel. And so we see that he wants them to know that. And so in verse 14 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this on a, sorry, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Write this down. 
so it can be remembered. Record this. This should not be forgotten. You need to know on the very first battle that you fought after coming out of Egypt why and how you won. Why was there victory? And make sure Joshua hears it. Why Joshua? I mean, he, I think he knows he won. I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, he was down there fighting the battle. Why does he need to hear about it? Uh, he needs to know why he won. Because I don't know about you, but if you're, I've never been in hand-to-hand combat. I don't, can't say that I'd like to be. But the reality is, in that situation, if you're fighting and you're fighting for your life and the lives of your family, it's not usually a good idea to turn around and see what the guy behind, on the hill is doing. Wait a minute, is, does Moses have his hands up? Does he have the staff? Let me check. No. You're going to fight. You're going to keep pressing ahead. And so God said, I want Joshua to know this day what happened on the field and why. That it was because hands were lifted up to the throne of God that he got victory. It's true. He fought. It was, there was real lives. There was real injury. But it was because God intervened. Because someone was praying and interceding. And so Moses, not only we see that he writes it down, but then he even builds an altar and and honors God and says, the Lord is my banner. And sometimes, I don't know, in churches we even have sometimes people that will wave banners around. That was popular a couple decades ago maybe, but this was not necessarily a decorative like, woo, streamer, banner. This is a banner. This is the emblem This is the ensign in military. The flag that you follow when you're in that group. In the Roman army, they use this extensively. If you're in that legion, you make sure you follow your legion's flag. If that flag is moving forward, guess what? You need to move forward. If it's going left, you need to go left. And he said, it's not about Joshua. It's not about the Israelites that's fought. The Lord is my banner. He's the one that I'm fighting for. He's the one that I'm going to follow. He's the one that I'm going to go with. Wherever his flag goes, wherever he goes, that's where I want to be. And we see those words reiterated by Moses time and time again. Lord, wherever your presence is, that's where I want to be. I don't want to go anywhere if you're not there. The Lord is my banner. He's the one who's got this. He's the one who sees what's going on in the battle. Who's getting the information that I need to follow. Because he hears what I can't hear. He sees what I can't see. But do you ever feel like you read something and you're like, man, that was harsh. Uh, it never happens. You guys are, are Bible scholars and you just, you take the God at his word and you think, well, that's okay, God, that's what you did. But I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. I mean, I'm sure glad he doesn't say that about me. That's a little scary. Does that feel a little harsh to you? And I feel like, did I miss something? Is there something else going on? I mean, I think there was a a show, was it Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story? And you always feel like, you you hear this, but there's, there's more to the story. And I really feel like that in this instant. Like, God, I missed something. Because in this story, they came, they attacked them, and they won. This was a Malachite territory. Surely they were just defending their own territory or... Well, we, we actually, this is one of those times where we actually get the rest of the story. If we f- flip over to Deuteronomy, chapter 25, verse 17. He actually is telling, Moses is actually helping them. And he says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. 
When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. Whoa, wait a minute. This isn't just about the Amalekites defending their territory. This isn't just them fighting a battle. This is raiders and robbers taking advantage of a people that are too tired to fight back. They were weary and worn out. When the people were saying, we're so tired, we've been going, we've been pushing, we've been in slavery, and we finally got through these ordeals, and now we're on the other side, and we're just, we just want to get to the river. We just want a drink of water. We want to get our animals to water. We're just so tired. Those are the ones that the Amalekites had gone after. And God has something to say. Because right before this, if you look in Deuteronomy 24, who is God talking about? He says, notice, take notice of the man who is poor and needy. I will hold you accountable. Beware of the alien or the fatherless. Do not take the cloak of a widow. He gives them instruction after instruction after instruction of, do you need to be aware of those who are needy, of those who are poor, of those who are orphaned or widowed? Because I see them. Psalm 12, 5, because the poor are plundered and the needy grown, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. Psalm 72 says, for he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. Ezekiel 34, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. God sees He knows. You open this book from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to find out that God has his eye on the weak and the needy. Those who do not have a defender. Those who have no shield around them. Those who the world views as least necessary or weak or unneeded. And they themselves are needy. God sees them. And he says he's going to hold them responsible. That changes it a little bit, doesn't it? It changes his judgment on the Amalekites. Well, as we've kind of looked through this story, we're looking at it and saying, okay, maybe there's something there I hadn't really thought about, or the fact that it was all day from sunrise till sunset that Joshua was out in the battle fighting. What does this mean for us today? I mean, what does this have to do with me? Here, Oklahoma City. Well, I believe that there's some connections, there's some correlations, there's some parallels for us that we can draw. Pretty straightforward. We know that they made the plan and they did it. They did what they were called to do. But we see Joshua, the first one, and we realize that he, we would say that he, stand firm and use your sword. That's the first point I want to make as we look at Joshua. Stand firm and use your sword. Now, I don't think that Joshua was necessarily just standing in one place. That's not my point. But my point is that he understood his job. He understood his role. He went out and he stood in that place where he was supposed to be. And some of us, God has called to challenging places. And some of you might say, well, where you're going, that's challenging. But you know, the reality is right where God has called you might be challenging. In your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family, there might be challenges that you're facing. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're challenged. It says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you're working and you're doing what God has called you to do, it's not in vain. But in Ephesians, I think we get that picture, right? Where Paul kind of uses uh, the armor of a soldier to kind of point out what we should be doing. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm. 
Then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Use your sword. You stand firm. But the reason you can stand firm is because you've got the word of God. We were just reading, we've been going through U.S. history and we read about Davy Crockett and one of his mottos was, know what is right and then do it. Know what is right and stand. And some of you need to be encouraged today that you need to stand. You need to stay in that difficult place. You need to stay where, the, where you feel like the arrows are being shot at you. Where things are happening, where you don't, you know, this, this is not real comfortable. Stand firm. Stay with the word. Let the word be your protection. God knows you. God sees you. What about Moses? Is there something that we can learn from him today? I think it's pretty clear in Scripture that he he learned a lesson that day. But even in Ephesians 6, it, it points out some of what we might learn from him. It says in Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This is the reality. This is the battle. So what? Verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Pray. Pray for one another. Pray. Pray continuously, right? Some of that... We, had, we memorized that one as kids. Pray without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So pray. Pray continually. But let's not just be praying. Let's do it in community. I think this is sometimes where we, where we might go off. This is the reality. Sometimes we feel a burden and we say, this is my burden and I've got to pray and I've got to seek God for this. But Moses didn't go out and do it alone. He took Aaron and her with him. If those guys weren't there, I'm not sure what would have happened that day. But they got a rock and they set it down. They held up his hands so that they would remain steady until sunset. They won that battle because there was an Aaron and a her. Do not go out and try to fight your spiritual battle without an Aaron and a her. The scripture point to this? Yes. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. James 5, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Some of you have been praying for something that feels like a battle. Maybe it's an unsafe family member. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's about a job. Maybe it's about a relationship. Maybe it's about a marriage. Maybe it's about a child. And you've been praying and maybe you're just tired. You, you've run out of words. Maybe you feel like you're just leaning on the staff saying, when is it going to happen, God? When are you going to answer my prayers? And maybe we need to be reminded that you need to find an Aaron and a her. Get some people around you that, and you say, you know what? I'm praying for this. I'm believing God for this. But my arms are just tired. Will you come and hold my arm? Will you pray with me? 
that we can see God's victory in this situation. Third group, we, we talked about Josh, we talked about Moses. I believe there's a third group here that we didn't really hear about in the first part of the story, but in that second part, we hear about the ones who are weary and worn out. And I believe that God wants to speak to them and say that we need to know that God sees you and will save you. We all get tired and weary and worn out. There's some in this congregation that aren't here today because they're in the hospital. There's those who are sick. I mean, you want to talk about sickness, it's been ravaging our country. Things have been shut down because of it. People are sometimes weary because of the sickness. Some people are just weary and worn out because of the quarantine, the lockdown, all the things that go with it, the things happening on the TV, and we say, you know what? I just feel attacked. I'm just, I don't know if I can go on. I feel like I've pushed on. I feel like I've done what God's told me to do. I feel like I've been obedient to God's word. We've, I've been saved. I've gone through the waters, and I'm on the other side, and I'm walking in God's presence, but I just feel like I haven't been to the river lately. I know it's there. Christ provided the river of living water. It says in the New Testament, He is the rock. He's the one who issues out living water for us. But sometimes we're like, God, I just I don't feel like I've been in your presence. I need that touch from you. And yet I feel like as I'm trying to go and I'm trying to seek God, I just I feel attacked. Maybe in my mind or maybe in relationships, something's going on and you're just like, God, I don't know if I can go on. I can't keep going like it is. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay, is what they write in Psalm 40. Isaiah 25 says, You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. God is the one who saves. He's the one who rescues. Isaiah 40, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow weary or tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He, this guy who never grows tired, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God is the source. And it's no different. Jesus issues this out and he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I see where you are. Jesus is saying, I take notice. And those who are the left behind, sometimes people seem left behind by society. In Tajikistan, we see it. We go and work with children with disabilities. They're the ones that are often left behind. And we go there and we say, God created you and designed you and he has a purpose. And sometimes because of that child, that family gets to hear the gospel. You don't tell me that child doesn't have value. They have an eternal soul. God puts value on things that often this world leaves behind. The ones who are straggling, the ones who are too tired to go on. You know, when we go on a family hike, guess what? Yeah, I got a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old and a 5-year-old. You know what? There's usually one of them that's straggling behind. He, he can run ahead for a while. He's, he can, he's, got the, he's got the juice. But you know what? His battery runs out really quick. Sometimes I got to go back and lift them up on my shoulders. God says, I'm a good father. I see what is going on in the lives of my children. And sometimes I just go back and I carry you. 
The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. That's in 2 Timothy. 2 Peter says 2.9 says, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. He's got it. It's his job. I don't need to be the judge. He's got this. But sometimes we don't feel it. We're not experiencing it. But it, the reality is that he's done the work already. Not only can he rescue us from trials, but he can rescue us from sin and death. That's the greatest battle that has ever been waged on this earth. And he's already won it. He's already won it. Joshua, God saves. That's what it means in the Old Testament. Guess what? Jesus means God saves. He's the one who's fighting the battle. But not only that, but Jesus is the great intercessor. And it says that his hands were outspread on a cross. Hands were lifted up to heaven. And that day, God brought victory. God intervened in human society, in human history. And he changed the course forever because he said, if you would believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. The, the battle is already won. If you have not experienced Christ's salvation, if you've not crossed over to the other side, I want you to know that Jesus has made a way through to the other side. He's opened up that and he says, come and enjoy my rest. Come and know God. Come over. Give up your sin. Give up that judgment. Give up that way of life and know me.